This isn't a phenomenon or some recent trend. Cross-dressing has been around since the beginning of time. Historically, women have cross-dressed as men to pass and gain economic independence and serve in wars in a patriarchal system. Cross-dressing is everywhere in Greek and Norse mythology, music, movies, cartoons. So why do some think it's okay in pop culture fiction, but not with real life people? We are going to look at the pursuit of truth and dispel the myths of cross-dressing. Savannah Hawk is a advocate and speaker who supports cross-dressing men, cis partners, and their families discover their true identity. Her presentations are about life balance and giving others the permission to celebrate both their masculinity and femininity. Hawk has penned the book, Living with Cross-Dressing, The New Normal, and co-hosts the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Please welcome Savannah Hawk. Hey, how are you? I'm great. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I do appreciate it. And, you know, I wish I was up in Canada where the hurricane wasn't blowing, but we're doing okay. Yeah. Thank God you're not in Florida right now. <laughs> no, I can't even imagine. It looks yeah. terrible. Anytime the sharks are in the street swimming, that's a bad sign. <laughs> True. So cross-dressing is an interesting topic because it's almost revered in pop culture movies. Going back like to the Tony Curtis when he some dressed like as a woman hot. and some like it hot. Yeah. Yet it's demonized sometimes when it happens to a real live person. For those who are unsure of the difference, can you explain the difference between cross-dressing and trans? Well, yeah, this is still emerging, by the way. This is still an unexact yeah. science. And I'm actually my third book. I'm going to kind of delve into that as well because it'll be the third in the living cross-dressing series. What, how I see it and how I've researched it is that cross-dressing is not a gender. Cross-dressing mm -hmm. is an art form. It is a way to present yourself and how you get from point A to point B, whether it's male, female, female to male, something androgynous in between, or however you want to you know, scope that line between the masculine and feminine. It's just the way you present yourself. It's the way you express yourself. So what I am trying to explain to people is that I'm dual gender, or you could be gender queer, gender fluid, bi-gender. Those are genders. But when I talk about cross-dressing, I've accepted that label as myself, but it's not my gender. My gender mm -hmm. is part of the trans umbrella, the greater trans umbrella. The problem I think we run into is sometimes there is a overarching transgender umbrella and then within that umbrella, there's all of us. And what happens is there's also a subset of transitioning folks that are also transgender. So sometimes the lines get very muddy in terms of the self-labeling for yourself versus the culture and the community at large. So because yeah. they both share the same word, uh, you call yourself a cross-dresser, all of a sudden you're, you're way over here on the left side, almost in the rain because you're not accepted as trans, but in reality, we're all trans. We're all yeah. operating across genders. So anything that's operating across genders is trans. So, But I love that 
explanation because that really simplifies it is transgender is is a gender and cross-dressing is is kind of your persona in a way or it's, your look it's the verb but yeah it's actually the action that you take in order to yeah. achieve the representation of your gender identity right so absolutely it is something that has been misconstrued i think we've spent so much time like you said demonizing and parroting you know cross-dressing cross-dressing mm -hmm. not necessarily like cross-dressers but cross-dressing has become like a joke um, you know, yeah, even as you said in cartoons, Bugs Bunny what looked like a beautiful woman there in many of those cartoons. <laughs> so for me, it's like that was really my first introduction to seeing anybody in quote unquote drag yeah. was watching cartoons with the Looney Tunes. But yeah, it's it's something I'm trying to kind of demystify. We do that in our podcast, Fox and Phoenix, and also the fact that we need to start separating and pulling apart the words so that it just doesn't become another umbrella statement that everybody just kind of throws into a box and assigns meaning to when in reality it has nothing to do with the, the trans experience other than the presentation of it. Yeah. I love that. That's great. So when did you know that you were gender diverse and what does being gender diverse mean to you? Oof. Uh, well, I won't say I knew what the words were, <laughs> but I mean, I knew I was different. Right. Probably between five and seven years old. I was very attracted to the clothing my sister wore and what my mom put out after doing laundry and folding up. I had really had a draw to like what that was, the softness, the shininess, the form fittingness of it, like all these things that I shouldn't like as a boy, but I did. And so it, I just knew it was a difference, but I never knew there was a word for it. And unfortunately the word that I finally realized denoted what it was to me in the 80s and 90s of the last century was transvestite and that became then oh, cross-dresser yeah, right. i almost forgot about that word yeah well i think we all did because it became so stigmatized that word that i only remember it from the rocky horror picture show <laughs> and well look even though he was in you know tim curry <laughs> was embodying the transvestite you yes. know and not apologetic about it it still was very much taboo. It's still very much like underground, that film. Mm -hmm. So it just became more and more stigmatized. And then Crossdresser was kind of the one that we replaced it with. Like, let's put that little stigmatized word over here. But then Crossdresser became, because by association, it became the same thing. But then I think it lost all of its meaning. Because if you look at Magnus Hirschfeld in the early 1910s, he coined transvestite and he coined it as part of the trans community. If you go way back to his origin, you see that like it had a lot of power, then was demonized by the Nazi party and, and being right. the sexual deviancy. He was trying to normalize it. And then it just took just a massive turnover the series of decades to where it is now. It really is fascinating how it's acceptable in pop culture fiction. Like Rocky Horror Picture Show is like, I mean, it's a cult. I love that show. Even today, you go to some of the theater screenings of it and people dress up as mm -hmm. the characters. So it's okay to do it in fiction, but and why it's, a, it's not it, okay? Oh, and it's okay to do it in cosplay. Person. Yeah, it's okay to do it if you're doing it as a costume. But it's yeah, not okay I, if you want to walk down the aisle of the grocery store and have people clock you as a man in a dress. But yet, you're probably wearing jeans underneath your 
frame there. You know, it's okay for women, which they have their own problems and their own fights in the 30s and 40s trying to get the okay to wear pants. Yeah. Even that dressing was <laughs> so even that dressing was you had to fight for your right to just wear comfortable clothing and World War II helped with having women in factories when men were away. So they gained a lot of ground and independence for their own fashion to wear what they want. Problem is men have never enjoyed, at least in modern Western society, that same like okayness to like, I want to wear a kilt. Well, if you're in Scotland, nobody's going to bug you about wearing a kilt, but in America and the rest of Europe, it's not okay. We're so puritanical and we're so like conservative about dress. If it's okay, if you want to look more like a man, hey, we're all about it. If you want to look more like a woman, ooh, no, what's <laughs> what's wrong with you? It's like, I don't accept that. I wish it was equal. I wish that yeah. we all could wear what we want, but just it's, we're well, still not there. And women get trashed too. Look at Lizzo was on stage and I think the only reason she was trashed for playing that work flute was mm -hmm. because of how she was dressed and that she's overweight. <laughs> really, that's, oh, well, really I mean, that's, that's the key, right? Yes, it had nothing to do yes. with her playing the flute or this historical moment. It was what she was wearing and it And how could you at that weight. weight, you're not socially acceptable as a perfect model. And that's another unfortunate- and I think she's perfect in every way. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, and we're starting to get that, like, love your shape, love who you are, don't yeah. be- or as Lizzo would put it, it, own your inner bitch. That's right. <laughs> I didn't say that, you all. She said it. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to actually live this dub a, a double life? Because it takes a long time. Like just being any gender, any gay or transitioning person, it takes so long for somebody to have the courage to come out. Yeah, and those two demographics you spoke of, I think that they have it more difficult because mm -hmm. while a gay person can closet their gayness, a trans person who's transitioning is going to live that life 24 seven. That's their, their goal is to be in the right body and have the right mind to body understanding of self. So for me, if I run into any problems, I can just pull this hair off and I can take my dress <laughs> off and slip down a dark alley and take the makeup off and you'll never even know it yeah. was me. So for me, it's, I think I kind of have the best of both worlds without the mm. kind of the angst, the constant angst that goes with it. I think in that way, I think I'm a cheater because I know there are people who have to live that, not have to, but they choose and they are that life, that is their life and they want to live it out loud 24 seven where for me, this is just a part of a, a grander, bigger picture of self. So while, you know, my male self probably enjoys 85% and Savannah enjoys 15% of my life. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's my balance and every balance is different. If you are kind of moving towards a transness of transitioning, you know, that all of a sudden you're going to find that like you want to be that woman more and more. And that's your discovery path to find it. But for me, it's. It's good, but it's bad. Like if you heard my first TED talk, my parents still don't know. They did. And they're never, thank you. And they're never going to find out. Not for me anyway. Only a couple of my relatives, all my girlfriend's daughters know. And she knows obviously. So my, a bunch of my coworkers, my boss, dozens of friends here in South Carolina, which is a very conservative state, but I'm in a very liberal area of that state, luckily. Yeah. Um, what are you nuts? <laughs> Uh, it wasn't my choice to move from New York City, but it just had to happen. But it's about finding yourself in that. And all of that I just said is about found, finding your balance and your purpose and your confidence. And that's really 
the thing that keeps you from caring mm -hmm. as much about what other people think and what they think of you. It's yeah. like, if you hold your head high and just move through life, that's the most important thing you can do for yourself. If you're unapologetic in whatever way that appears and presents itself to the world, that's the most important thing. So for me to answer your question, I work, I've worked very hard for four decades, four and a half decades to get to where I am. And I don't wish this road on anybody who yeah. is younger and trying to find themselves and not at all. But for me, I'm very happy with who I am. There's weeks where Savannah never comes out because I'm just like, I can't be bothered. But when she needs to make her appearance, she does. I go out to Starbucks or I go to just a grocery store or Trader Joe's or just go out or stay in and just, you know, live that and embody that. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Why can't we treat it like wrestling? You know, because wrestlers <laughs> have personas and they're that different person when they're in a ring. The only thing about that, that is manufactured versus that it's is really true, part yes, of yes. who you this are. This is who you are. Yes. Yeah. But yes. I mean, but I still had to come up with a name. I had to find my style. So there are a lot of things that it started off as costuming, but now it's just indicative of who I am. So yeah. in, in that way, yeah, there's some similarities where it's like this persona you put on because I can go back to the, what does John Cena act like and is like when he's not in the ring. So yeah, there's a lot, there's some acting ideals to it, but in reality, it's like, it's also a sense of self and like calmness and centering that when you do have all this on and you see yourself in the mirror, you're like, oh, I'm home again. So. Yeah. And imagine like the persona for you would probably be the male. Well, I mean, that's the, you know, I'm born biologically male. So, you know, yeah, he has always been at the forefront in a driver's seat taking control of my career, my schooling, my relationships have all been stemmed from that. And Savannah has always been that thing or that person to try to catch up or try to be accepted. Like yeah. Chuck never needs to be accepted because Chuck is where he's quote unquote supposed to be. But Savannah trying to fight to get into the world and stay in the world is really a constant struggle that you have yeah. to overcome on a daily. Well, hey, women know. <laughs> I was actually thinking the same thing because you said <laughs> earlier, it's like, I'm not even sure how I would know how that feels like. Yeah. But imagine, you know. I'm Mind you, I was the first female in a lot of male dominated professions. Yeah. However, I wasn't always demonized, but I, but it was, yeah, you're not welcome. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. And it's not for anything you're doing. You're just being you and showing up in the world. And that's a threat to yeah. those people who do want to demonize you which is the thing that we face as trans folks is that people want to instantly demonize you. They're threatened by your existence yeah, for whatever reason. Well, there's You're plenty of reasons. There's, there's religion, there's worldview, there's culture. There's a hundred reasons, your upbringing of what your parents taught you. All these things wrap around your vision and perspective of what other people are. And many people don't have mal, they don't have malice towards you. They want to save you. They don't want you to go to hell. They want to cure you. of Which these, is worse. <laughs> which is worse. Is worse on the outset, but the heart of the person had good intent. They're just yeah. misguided. So my job as an advocate and writer and podcaster is just to normalize the experience. I mean, we're not hurting anybody. No. We're hurting your idea of what the world should look like, but we aren't hurting anybody. We're not hurting ourselves. We're just living you know, a normal everyday life. And that's what I'm trying to present to the world is that, you know, we're just like everybody else. We may dress a little bit different. We may take better care of our skin and put on some nice makeup, 
But how am I any different? My conversation with you, Debbie, would not be any different as my male side as it is now. And my conversation with you wouldn't be any different either. That's right. Because that is also key, I think, is to just accept people. It is. Yeah, it really is. So with that in mind, though, because you can't always trust people will (laughs) accept. So how do you know who to trust? Oh, that's years of gut instinct. (laughs) It really is. It's, you know, I typically keep it very close to my vest or chest or bosom, whatever you want to say. Um, (laughs) And like playing my coworkers and like, if I've come very friendly with them and I feel like not telling them is actually worse than telling them. I feel like they deserve to be told, like, why am I keeping this from them? That's when I'll share. When I go to Starbucks on the weekends, every Starbucks I go to, the the staff knows me as both sides because I get the same drink. They know when I walk into Savannah, they're like, wait, aren't you? They know, and that's okay. And that's a safe environment. So there's about safety. There's about knowing the venue is accepting. There's knowing that the person's heart that you're speaking to is open to that conversation or at the very least, like, ambivalent. Like, oh, okay, you know, that's yeah. okay. That's what you like to do. I mean, we might not talk about it ever again, but it doesn't change the course of your friend. It becomes worse when it's like a partner who doesn't know, kids you haven't told, you know, for 15, 20 years as they're growing up under your house. Those are the things like the longer you wait to do something, it's like it, there's never a good time. And the longer you wait, it's never, ever a good time. That's how people get found out. That's how people, the trust is betrayed. That's how you walk into a room and says, I found this. What is this all about? And now you're forced into a corner to explain yourself. I don't tell people they should reveal themselves because that's a personal choice. But for me, it's just easier to just have that as part of the, the relationship, part of the, like the person I am, because if not, then it just is a shame. Like all of a sudden I'm self-imposing shame onto myself. Cause obviously there must be something wrong yeah. with me for not telling somebody. And because people are so afraid of whatever, do you think it matters whether it's male to female or female to male in how people are treated? I think because of the way fashion has evolved over time, that somebody who's female who wants to be more androgynous or more masculine is much more accepted in society. Mm -hmm. They were tomboys. Oh, look at that girl. She's such a tomboy wearing her overalls. And, you know, playing with frogs, that was the label set upon them. But in reality, especially in Western culture, if you're in a patriarchal society, striving to be more manlike is actually a good thing until you hit those brick walls of like, well, he, if he's a man, he's aggressive. And the Unless you're if he's in a woman, they're and a then bitch. they call you the B word. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there are some limits to that. And those glass ceilings are pretty sad. But I, I do believe that women adopting more male-centric clothing persona is much more accepted to a point than anything that if a man wants to look more feminine. All of a sudden you're put into a drag culture, you're put into gay culture, you're put into a feminine culture. All of a sudden there's something wrong with you because you don't want to be a man anymore. Although I think about the, the women who had to dress as men and were could lose a lot by getting found out was back in the civil war other mm. other wars where women weren't allowed or even in sports it hasn't been that long since even just minor hockey has accepted women to play hockey there have been women who try to pass as boys just to play a sport that they loved so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's 
crazy hell. But <laughs> what we do to, to find our own way. So there's when you, I mean, one of the reasons a lot of people don't come out, I guess, is because there's that fear of what the response is going to be and mm-hmm. actual danger can happen. So what kind yes. of dangers are around today? I guess you don't have to guess, but <laughs> it's alarming the statistics on even just with the transgender people, how many are murdered every year. Oh, yeah. And that is so prevalent with trans women of color and minorities in sex work also those kind of all tie together in that statistic very sad statistic you have trans youth of all types who don't even in this era even in 2022 we are facing misinformation we're facing bullying in schools you're facing they're found out at home and then now they're they're kicked out and have to find a place to live and what does that housing look like if any there's i believe it in some demographics it's a 3x suicide attempt rate between a trans youth or you know a, a gay youth versus the same demographic in the cis side and the hetero side so that's staggering and that's all based again on bullying and not having support at home being deviled at school not having a safe place to go i mean there's so many laws now be coming on the books in you know red states that are, you know, keeping that from even being a conversation anymore. Yeah. We're, we're not going into this little backward slide to try to limit these people. When it comes to adults, you have people who, like myself, really didn't know anything about ourselves or know what it meant. You could be in a relationship and get found out. That could, if your partner is not accepting or ignorant of what it could be, what it means, and, and fearful, you could lose that relationship. You could lose your children. I know one person who transitioned, mm-hmm. not fully, but medically transitioned to a point so far. In law, had three sisters, has three sisters, and two of the three don't even want her to be part of their lives for holidays or family okay. gatherings or anything. But they were completely fine previously. Yes. But this thing, the thing that's happening, they can't accept. So in those ways. You know, it's about rejection. It could be you're found out at work or you tell your boss. And if you're at a, what's it called? I forget what it's called here in South Carolina. But like, basically it's like you, you are, you enjoy employment for as long as your, your boss wants you to be there. Yeah. They they can terminate you. And so even though there's LGBTQ protections on the books in different states and at the federal level, there's still something that you could have the perfect record and then come out as trans and all of a sudden somehow you get pushed out of your job. So there's a lot of things that are dangerous aside from just physical danger. There's financial stability. There is having a relationship with your loved one continue. There are many things that can happen. That's why I always say it's so important to be the most confident about who you are Yeah. because you're going to need that if any of those, those things were to happen. And you got to find a support system. You have to find the right people that will be there. Even if like, if you're, God forbid, your parents disown you. I mean, I can't even go there, but. <laughs> well, luckily I don't have too much concern about being disowned and my parents don't have anything close to internet. So I don't think they're ever <laughs> going to find out inadvertently unless somebody tells them. Oh, so it. you're not really speaking your own. <laughs> well, like I said, they're older. My parents are yeah. very, very, very anti-LGBTQ and they've, oh. they've talked about it in many ways, even more recently. So, so you're not for, dressed as Savannah when you go to no, the Christmas no, not party. At all. 
<laughs> no, not at all. And it's unfortunate. I would like for them. Yeah. But again, I don't want to take that chance. For me, no. what's the risk reward of, of sharing? Is right. it for me? Is it for them? Is it wanting to be a full individual and share my joys and my triumphs and everything I'm doing? It's like saying, hey, I was on the locker room for growth show. Those things I can't share, but who does it benefit? Just like accolades and pats on the back for me versus mm. possible just antagonism between us. So in that case, I just choose the easier road. Yeah. It's sad though. And own your truth, like own yourself when you're right. around. And that's why I'm saying sometimes I feel like a cheater because I can pick and choose yeah. what I want to do versus somebody who's living that life out loud full time. So right. for me, I, I do have, you know, have some outs by trying not to break in case of emergency too many times because <laughs> I do want to be out and I do want people yeah. to know who I am and, and share in that kind of celebration. I'm not ashamed of myself. I just, some the risk reward sometimes is the, the key to why you do things. Just to put a, an exclamation point on it without naming any names. Can you share a story that hones the kind of like what some people go through such as yourself or some of your friends when they have been found out because I'm sure you've seen gazillion horror stories can you just maybe find one in there that that really tells people this is what the reality is there's so many stories I'll just speak for me like in the 90s I came out accepted self-accepted the word transvestite for myself very excited. I was celebrating. I wanted to tell the world about myself. I was married at the time and she was on her old path of self-discovery and, and realized that she was a lesbian and embraced that. So we split up, which is ironic. We split up for completely different reasons. Not that. I was with other relationships. I vowed to always tell that person right away. And it didn't always end up good. Like I was going to the clubs in New York City in the 90s. It was like the heyday. But I was with a woman for 15 years who's who knew about Savannah, accepted Savannah, but then over time, it grew into resentment, it grew into some sort of shame spiral that was kind of put on me. So I went from being completely out and like having a good time and enjoying life to this person who was constantly becoming subservient to somebody else's happiness. So as a result of both them pushing and me pulling away, I went back in the closet. I didn't go any place for like the last seven years of the relationship. And mm -hmm. Savannah may have made an appearance once in a while, but not really unless she wasn't home. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden it became a very underground, very secretive existence for Savannah. I was like, oh wait, she's going to be gone for five hours. <laughs> Let's put everything <laughs> on and do it. And yeah. it's like rushed. It was manic. There was no joy to it. It was just no. almost survival, the survival mode. So toward the end, I reasserted like I wanted my own happiness and started coming back out into the world. This would be the early 2000s and coming in, moved to South Carolina, went back into the closet again, but not because I was afraid of what was out there in a conservative. Yeah, no kidding. Conservative <laughs> state. I, I wasn't sure, but that was my own like uh, a stereotype of what I thought people were like in South Carolina. And I was also wrong. I assumed they would treat me a certain way, and I thought they were a certain way. So well, it's reality, hard not to, because isn't that the state where they had that bathroom law? Uh, that was North Carolina, oh, but, North, close, well, but close okay. enough. Okay. Um, <laughs> the problem is, is like I made an assumption about what people would think, and I was looking for a replacement, like security bubble, or people like myself. 
and then realized that the bubble couldn't be what it was. It's never going to be replaced from the one in New York. Made something bigger. Found people at PFLAG, parents of trans kids, gays, lesbians, trans masculines, just a bevy of everybody under the umbrella and realized that I needed to reassert my happiness again to find who I was and be happy, which is where I am now with the books and the podcast and the TEDx's and the advocacy. It's always based on, I didn't need to do it in New York. There was plenty of people to do it for me, but now I realize there's too much at stake, especially here in the South to just put it in somebody else's lap. So that's, is my kind of trials and tribulation story, but with the success at the end and ongoing to just raise awareness and, and let people know there's nothing wrong with, with who we are. No. There's no shame in being unique, you know? We all want to be unique. We don't we do. want to be cut of the same cloth. <laughs> right. Well, we do, but then we still want to be a little bit different. We want to be accepted, but we want to stand out. Yeah. We want to blend in, but we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. <laughs> so that's actually something, it's funny, I'm laughing and you're laughing, but that is kind of like, another problem that trans people have who are, yeah. you know, if we get clocked, but yeah, you know, there's a, there's a series and rings and protections that we need to do for ourselves in order for us to feel safe outside our home. So I'll do much more makeup than normal woman would. I will dress a very specific way. So I blend in. I want to be stand out and glamorous, but I also want to be like, people just walk by and didn't even notice I was there because they just assume I'm a woman. Uh, so those those things that we do to protect ourselves. And that's not something most people experience in just normal day-to-day going out to any kind of like a coffee shop or a grocery store or a mall. Most people don't have that that concern, but we going out thinking and knowing that there could be something terrible waiting for us, mm-hmm. we do all our damnedest to make sure that we look the part. You know, yeah. Or go the opposite way and just go so over over glam that they almost like can't even like fault you for doing it because you're like, wow, you're yeah, you're all that. So we all have our ways, and but it is important for people to know that is very important for people to be cautious, be be aware, be mindful, be understand your space around you if you're going out. Pick your venues. Like you don't have to pick a venue to like feel safe necessarily. Well, you're going to a biker bar at three a.m. Oh, um, I love biker bars. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you already feel safe there. But for me... But I don't feel safe walking down the street a lot of times that's because right. I'm a woman. Ironically, while I have zero concern about my safety as a man, in that same alley or same walk to the oh, car, yeah. if I'm dressed this way, I have a lot of fear for myself. Yeah. That's in the same body. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's this weird like, wait, but if I was not in heels... I feel fine. But now that I'm heels and hair, now I'm feeling insecure. So there's a double whammy there because it's both being female and cross-dressing that that adds that extra element because they'll come and approach you if you're female, but then as soon as they see that you're not a female, then they probably- Practices up possibly to the next. Yeah. 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 It's one thing to be catcalled and kind of like leered at as, as a woman from a man. And we get that, but as soon as they realize you're a man, they were catcalling. Oh. All of a sudden, you've emasculated them and tricked them into believing you're a woman. Depending on the person, that could be very dangerous. The Please. small, uh, what do you call it on the Twitter thing? <laughs> Not avocado, but the eggplant. <laughs> the small eggplant uh, syndrome. <laughs> Uh, yes, for them, I'm not going to speak to any right. other eggplants, but yes, 
It's like they and they don't understand. It's like, wait, the I was ones attracted that get to so you. Upset or yeah. the ones that have the small eggplants. <laughs> right. And, and it's just funny because even they don't understand that just because you're attracted to what you thought was a woman, and because your your body's reacting to it, just because yes. you find out that person is actually biologically male, that doesn't make your you know, doesn't make you like all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm gay because I was attracted to a man. Right? No, you weren't. You were attracted to this <laughs> who's really good and looking like a girl. Yeah. So don't fault yourself as there's no shame in an attraction because that's just the attraction you already have for cis women. There's been times where even as a female, you get questioned whether or not you're lesbian or not because mm. sometimes you don't know, right? And I'm not, but I have been hit on a couple of times right. <laughs> that's sorry that's, sorry that's a feather in a cap it's like hey even the girls <laughs> like me but i also have gone to a gay bar too so <laughs> well, they, you know, i guess you they kind of assumed there. if you're in a gay bar you might be gay well no it. that didn't happen in oh, the gay okay. bar though <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to the straight bars so and being hit that. on by women okay so gotcha. that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i remember i was with it was a football football weekend we were had meetings all weekend and we were in montreal and we were taking the train we had just we're coming back from the bar downtown and and i'm with seven guys mm. <laughs> and these two women are on there and i'm checking me out and i'm like kind of with these guys you know we're you know anyway <laughs> hey, hey like i said just enjoy it and be like well i, I know still right got it. I still just got let it, it go that's right <laughs> No, it didn't bother me. Good. It was Good. just weird. It was just weird. So tell us about your podcast. Well, um, COVID being a terrible thing was actually the birthplace of the podcast. I met my co-host on another podcast. It was like a after party movie review. Uh, so we watched a trans-centric movie and the host had a bunch of guests from previous episodes. So I met Julie Rubenstein from Fox and Hanger. And that's her business for the trans community. We met, we just basically hooked up by email and she said she had some ideas and we started off in one direction and we said, wouldn't it be easier if we just did a podcast? And then we just figured it out. We figured out how to do a podcast. I figured out how to do post-production slowly, but surely by the end of that, I think that was 2020. So if it was April, May, when we met by August, September, we had our like 12 episodes in the can to launch and yeah the fox and the fingers podcast was born cool. and we're over 100 episodes we're on a little bit of a hiatus until next week october 5th which will come back we'll have i think we have another nine episodes in the can for schedule we're ready to go and we're going to keep going until somebody tells us to stop i guess <laughs> yeah i, I suck at uh, production well that's why julie has me because I'm, me. I'm good at i'm good at the like editing none of us are really defined by one thing even though a lot of people will want to define us by hmm. what job we have and what so what else do you enjoy what kind of hobbies do you Ooh, have well let's see i love my fur babies luckily they've been very quiet during this this broadcast i'm surprised i, <laughs> I love chilling in like vegging on the couch and watching Netflix and any other streaming service. I'm a big M, uh, MCU cinematic universe oh, uh, geek. We're, we're sisters. Uh, I tell you, I just, you know, I had to watch the new She-Hulk that just came out yesterday. I didn't want to leave that too long. Yeah. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. I think it's funny. Do Lego a little bit? 
you know, play with Lego and build for resale. So that's kind of like half job, half love. Writing, as you know, but aside from the nonfiction that I write, I uh, just got into a fiction effort for the LGBTQ community. So that's like a sci-fi dystopian. Yeah, so that's coming out hopefully early next year. And then I told you about the third Living with Crossroads book in the series will be coming out late next year. I love doing that. I just love watching movies in general. You think I'd have no time to do a thing because I'm just always sitting around doing nothing. I love creating things. I love just doing being creative in general. Yeah. Uh, but typically writing is is kind of like my backbone for my creative prowess. So yeah, I like writing, like doodling, making things. So yeah. So what kind of advice would you give to a young person who knows who they are like you did, but because of the climate today, are kind of terrified to come out or tell anyone. Mm. You nailed it earlier in the episode, which was you have to find support. You have to find a support system. Fortunately, Where do you uh, look it, for it? Well, good thing you asked, because again, you could be in a small town and not be able to find physical in-person support. But the internet is a both a terrifying and wonderful thing. If you go to different places, if you find organizations that can point you to different chapters in different places around the country or around the world even. You can find meetup groups that you can find like-minded individuals. And that's easy enough, but it, it, it may not be easier for you to get to the place they are, but it's a way to like find what's out there. I found PFLAG, which is Parents and Guardians for Gays and Lesbian Youth. They are typically very friendly, and I know they have chapters around the country here in at least the United States. I don't know about in, in Canada. You just got to put like LGBTQ resources near me. Okay. That's going to be your first step. And you should be able to find organizations that have either a list of places or safe, not safe houses, but safe havens and resources and clubs. It should be easy enough to find. The problem is like, depending on where you are in the country or in North America, you might be in a very rural space with populations not so dense. And you'll have to travel or you'll have to rely on being online with people. The only thing I caution about is when you are on social media, when you're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the other socials, try to be very mindful of the people you meet. Mm -hmm. Try to be very protective of your identity and who you are and don't give everything away on the first person who seems to have an interest in you. Be thoughtful, be mindful, be just protect yourself first. Number one, if it's too good to be true probably is. Don't fall for the people who want to give you money. Don't give away your identity. Obviously all those things apply, but yeah, for the community, you should just like word of mouth, find people and find places that, that will help your experience. Here in Canada, most of the major cities have pride parades. So mm. obviously there is a lot of urban support right. groups. If you know, there's a pride event that's two hours away, you got to make sure you can get there without arousing suspicion if you are closeted. But if you can make that trip, you're going to find dozens. Yeah, those feathers are kind of show up in the car there. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. So yeah, just obviously, obviously, you want to be very smart. But like, if if that's I'm going to carry fest, also, all you know, honest. I'm going. Yeah, to right. I'm going. Fest. I'm going to. I'm going to Coachella. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Savannah. It was I just just loved having you on. Oh, you too. I mean, it's your show, but I love being here. And <laughs> if you want me to come back for follow-up, I'd be more awesome. than pleased and honored awesome. to do so. Thank you so much. Thank you.